How do fitness professionals who aren't marketing and technology experts build a profitable business? This podcast uncovers the secrets of fitness leaders who've already found financial freedom so you can take paid vacations, save for retirement, and work from anywhere in the world. I'm Kenton Boutwell, joined by co-host Nick Clayton, and this is the Fitness Leaders Podcast. How you doing today, Nick? Ken, I am great. Things are good. The dog is good. The pre-wife is good. And I'm excited for our chat today. going to be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited too. I hear this is a good friend of yours. Yes, yes. Uh, I've known him probably 10, 15 years now, mostly through uh, my work at National Strength and Conditioning Association and his volunteership with it. Um, but, you know, we talk all the time about the importance of having a niche and about carving it out. Our next guest is a shining example of that. He's the owner of Training the Older Athlete, a hybrid business that offers in-person and online training and continuing education, all around the same topic, helping older people train harder and smarter to keep their quality of life. He holds a master's degree in personal training, a bachelor's degree in kines, uh, was the NSCA 2012 Personal Trainer of the Year, and is now a member of the NSCA Board of Directors. Our guest today is Robert Linkle, my good friend. Robert, how the hell are you? I'm good, buddy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here and to chat with you. Absolutely. We are excited for this conversation. So how are you? Where are you? Are you back up in uh, Northern California? Yeah, I'm just outside Sacramento, California. Our, our city here is Shingle Springs, and uh, this is where I um, own and operate with my wife, TOA, trainingtheolderadult.com. And we're a combo of online training and in-person. And the other side of our business is online education for other trainers on how to work with older populations. Our, our average age client is 72. And I've got uh, about 80 or so clients that I get to work with. So a very fun def- demographic to work with and a very rewarding group to work with. And I love it. I've dedicated my whole life to it. That's a, that's a unique niche. What got you into, what made you want to get into training older adults? Well, the best answer I can give is like, I'm, I'm the oldest 40 year old you'll ever meet. And like, I've got an 80 year old body and a 40 year old frame. All jokes aside, I've had 14 different surgeries. I've had uh, lung cancer and thyroid cancer. I've had three hip arthroscopies, three hip replacements, two back surgeries, uh, hernia repair, a ganglion cyst, carpal tunnel, and ligament repair in my wrist. Through all those experiences, and Alan Cosgrove line, I, I don't tell you all that to impress you, but to impress upon you opportunities for learning, an opportunity to see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes. I basically got to fast forward a lot, especially with my hip replacements and my back injuries of what the average you know, 60, 70, 80 year old is gonna experience going through that. I got to experience that at 36 and I, life's not happening to me. It's happening for me. Uh, who's the, the motivational Tony speaker? Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yeah. Tony, Tony Robbins. Robbins. That's his line. Yeah, it's a great line. And I, and I love that line because I, my wife and I really embrace that. I've had these great opportunities to experience things that most people my age won't and then have the chance to try to teach others through that experience, you know? So I've really embraced that. Um, almost look forward to it in a lot of cases because I know I'm going to go in for this procedure or that. I want to research it. I want to learn as much as I can about it. I want to prehabilitate, get myself ready to re, you know, to recover well, work with my physical therapist to rehab well, 
come out of that on the other end. And now I've got that experience to go part of my business to say, yeah, I know what it's like to rehab from an arthroscopy from, you know, from a hip replacement, from a discectomy. Like I've just, I've had those, those experiences. So I write about those things a lot. I do a lot of videos, uh, a lot of online education and a lot of trainers just continue to ask, how, how do you do it? How do you work with these older populations? I don't know what to do and I don't know how to implement it and not hurt them. So we heard those questions so many times. I was typing the same thing over and over again. And so why don't we make this into a course? And so we taught three different pieces one year and then we put the whole thing together the next and that's how TOA started. So yeah, it's been, all that has happened. Uh, my first surgery was in 2008. So all within, you know, the last 13, 14 years, right around there. So um, a lot of opportunities to learn, but a lot of opportunities to connect with my demographic. You know, it, it feels good to be able to take someone who's very, very anxious. I know I'm rambling here a little bit, but to take someone who's very anxious about training like this and say, I got you. I know exactly what you're going to go through. And you see them, you know, like, thank you. You know, you can see it disarm them. It's a, it's a good thing. It's been a great experience for me. Experience is definitely a great teacher. I know just personally, nothing like your long list. But when I was, I think, 21, 22, I had a real bad injury, low back injury playing soccer. Um, and it, it, it crushed me, you know. So I went through all the rehab and everything else. But what I didn't realize is the emotional toll, mm-hmm. the toll on my confidence. You know, the just when you are when you can't do what you want to do physically, it takes away from you. So I think that made me a much better trainer, yeah. just knowing you know, not only how to rehab something and, and get someone stronger through an injury, but all the other pieces that go to it, like you mentioned, fear. Like yeah. Those are huge factors that come into getting people healthy. You hurt your knee too, didn't you? Didn't you have a couple knee surgeries too? Uh, I had one. So I, yeah. I've treated my body kind of like a, a roller coaster over the years. Mm. So I have no cartilage in my right knee. Uh, so I had a microfracture surgery and it uh, that was not great. Didn't come out all that well, but like everything else, you know, I can pretty much do anything I want except jog. And then mm. when that foot gets out in front, it hurts a bit, but I can sprint, I can jump, I can, I can walk, I can hike, I can bike. So things are good, you know, good. Good, good experiences. Good. I'm glad to hear that. All right. So in preparation for this podcast, mm-hmm. I did a quick Google search. Oh boy. He trained older adults and I saw some really great information. So apparently you have older adults who are frail, you know, lack functional strength. And all the workouts I saw involve sitting in a chair and pink bands. What's your take on that? Frustrating. Um, It's something that I call common practice. Our industry has a lot of common practice. It's what the person that taught me how to do this job did. So that's how I'm going to do it without asking any questions, without thinking any different. And you just kind of continue the trend and there's enough information that comes from the fitness industry to kind of back it up in the general media that it's a really hard thing for us to break, not to crap on medical, but doctors don't really have a whole lot of experience being well-versed and educated on what strength and conditioning actually is. So we'll have clients that come in and my doctor said, I shouldn't do deadlifts and I shouldn't, you know, um, I shouldn't lift anything over 30 pounds and I shouldn't lift anything over my head and I shouldn't do anything quick. And then I need to be seated and just worked on all the selectorized machines. And that will help my gait issues and how I keep falling down. 
I'm like, that just doesn't make any sense to me. So I had a lady that came into our studio one day and the lights were off. I was closing up and she comes in and she goes, is this, is this TOA? And I said, yeah. And she goes, you train older adults in here? And I said, yeah. And she looks around, she goes, where, um, where are all the chairs? And I said, we don't have any chairs. And she goes, there's all these weights and racks. You don't, old people don't use these, do you? And I said, yeah. And she goes, mm, literally starts backing away. Uh-uh, uh-uh, that's, that's, that's not right. You're going to hurt people. And I'm like, well, what do you do? And she goes, I'm retiring. I said, what are you retiring from? She goes, I'm a farmer. And I'm like, do a lot of sitting down when you're farming? <laughs> She's like, no, I'm on my feet constantly. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So I'd be doing you a disservice of like, well, now that you're retired, let me sit down and make you as dysfunctional as possible when you were doing like one of the most functional things on earth. You basically do everything that I want people to do. You're going to hinge. You're going to carry. You're going to transfer. You're probably going to throw some stuff, right? Like those are all the things that those are five, four out of the five things I want you to do. We put, we put rowing and pressing in there and you're golden, right? And I'm just like, but that's, that's the mindset though. And it's every picture, just like you talked about. They're pink dumbbells, they're bands, they're balloons, they're seated on a physio ball, you know, they're old and then they're a little button up shirt, not doing anything athletic. And it pisses me off, Nick. Pisses me off, man. <laughs> every time I think, every time I see it, I think of you. <laughs> Thank <All right>. you. <laughs> the, the burning question, and I think we've talked about this in the past, that every fit pro asks, you, you know, you can turn on YouTube, you can turn mm -hmm. on the Google machine, uh, and you'll come up with, hey, five tips to do this, to do that. But what everyone really gets jazzed up and wants to know is, you know, how did you go from where you started to where you are today? So talk to us a little bit, just what got you into fitness? Like why, why pick fitness as a career? How'd you start? I, I fell into it a little bit. I wanted to be a PE teacher. So I went to CSU Sacramento here and um, in our first semester, we got to student teach. So I went out to a middle school, fifth grade, and I'm supposed to be teaching line dance and lacrosse, these fifth graders. And uh, I had learned the, the, the boy steps and the girl steps to our line dance. And, and they don't tell you is in fifth grade, boys and girls don't like each other. They won't, they won't dance together. So all of a sudden now I'm, I got boys will actually hold hands and dance together. And so will the girls, but I've already taught them all the same moves. So it's a huge cluster. The kids hate it. The kids don't like me. I go and talk to the teacher and I'm like, are they always like this? Is it just because I'm a, a new? And she goes, this is how it always is. They don't want to be here. And so going through that first semester, I got a job as a personal trainer at a country club. And on this side, the kids don't want to learn. They don't want to listen. They don't want to be here. On the other side, these people want to be here so badly, they'll pay me for my time and my expertise. And within that one semester, I had this kind of aha moment that, that took me from why am I forcing something that, that is very unnatural or uncommon and that people don't want to really do in, instead of, well, I don't want to be labeled as a trainer. I wanted to be a strength coach. And then, you know, I wanted to work in high school, do PE and be the strength coach for the teams. There wasn't enough clout that comes with that. Personal trainers aren't as cool as a strength coach. So is that my, my moment? And I said, I'm going to help and I'm going to do everything I can to help change that stigma, that mindset. You don't have to go into a room and when someone says, what do you do? You say, I'm a personal trainer, but I'm, but I'm a good one. I'm not, I'm not one of those. Right. So we want to change that. And with that came every effort I could to pursue the highest level of education that I could learn as much as possible. So when someone met me and they talked to me and they worked with anyone that I worked with and they're like, you guys are personal trainers. Like you should be strength coaches working somewhere. 
that's that's what I wanted. And so I pursued, got my, I changed my my degree from Kinesis uh, Physical Education to Strength and Conditioning, and then went and got a master's degree in personal training from the United States Sports Academy. And all my efforts from there, every, everyone I've mentored with, every education bit that I've had, it's all been geared towards, you know, producing the best service that I can for my clients to this date, to this moment, the best product, the best coaching, the best modifications, and that never ends, you know. Dan John said something very similar to this in like 2009. I saw him speak at a perform better clinic, maybe 2010. And he said, not word for word, but something like this. He said, 80% of what you need to know to be a great coach, you already know it. You know, all the movements and you know how to program basics. 10% you're in the process, process of learning it right now. You're here, you're learning these new things. 10% you'll never know about because it's always in this constant state of development. There's always going to be something more, 10% more that you could go and pursue and, and learn a little bit more about. So it's a never-ending battle, right? We're always in the pursuit of more knowledge, and that's just going to make us that much better. And it reflects in your programming. It reflects in your coaching and reflects in the, you know, we had 10 injuries my first year, and then two years later, I only had six, and then two years later, I only had four, you know? Like, you see it all reflect in that. The, the way your clients stay, the... Um, the years, the decades that people are now committed to working with you rather than months and having constant turnaround, you know, those, those are all indicators that what you're doing is you're doing it right. And you're connecting with people on a deeper level and you're producing a service that they love. And so I've wanted to be able to help produce that not only for myself, but then teach others how to do that. Quick question for you. Um, so, cause you kind of told us about, your first job or getting into training, but like before you did all that, were you already um, into fitness? Kind of what, what got you to say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a trainer now. I mean, was yeah. it just random? Man, it was something else. I was in Mesa, Arizona. Um, and I went to uh, my sister and I lived there my first year of college and I um, went to the YMCA and applied for a front desk job. And the manager came out and he took a look at me and I was, you know, 2.30, I was very, very fit, much more muscular than I am now. And he goes, you, you, you want to be a trainer? And I said, well, I'm, not, I'm not certified. I don't know how to do it. And he goes, that's okay. You, you look like you do. Do you want to be a trainer? And I said, what? I'm like, are you going to teach me? And he goes, what do you do in the gym? You, obviously, you train. And I'm like, well, I throw the hammer. I'm a hammer discus thrower. And he goes, just do that. And he throws me a Schmedium polo and I put it on and out to the floor I go. And so I've got these housewives with torn rotator cuffs doing snatches and I'm box jumping people and doing, you know, medicine ball slams. And I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. I couldn't keep a client. I was terrible at it. And the bottom line was just keep making us money. Just get out there, just keep selling, just keep making some money. So when I, that was my first year of school, I grew very frustrated living there, transferred to Sac State. And when I got here, um, when I took that first job at the country club, uh, our manager right away goes, you know, do you want to be a, you, you applied for a trainer. I see you're getting your degree in Kines. Um, you know, you're going to get a certification, yada, yada. He goes, uh, let me talk to you about programming. And I went, ah, now I'm in a place that will teach me. Right. And that's what our industry really lacks is like, we don't have anyone or don't have a lot of places where people can really learn how to do this well and like get mentoring and coaching and shadowing and like on the floor. So I lucked into a, a very good manager there that taught me how to do it. And then connecting with the NSCA, cause I'm a why guy, I got to know why we're doing all this and I needed journals. I needed research. So between those two things and the, the great opportunity, I really grew passionate about this. 
I knew I wanted to be in this realm somewhere at the time, but I didn't really know what. I just thought if I can get in the front desk and be around the gym, you know, playing basketball and doing everything else, maybe I'll figure something out. A little bit lost at the time, but I definitely found my way. Yeah, I started off at the Y myself. Um, so kind of first training job, but like you said, they didn't really, you know, there wasn't, it's not like somebody took me in and said, oh, here's how you write programs and here's how you train people. Get out there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. I, I did a presentation in Phoenix like four or five years ago and, and the manager at the YMCA was there and she, she's, she wasn't the one that hired me, but she started laughing and she's like, that sounds like us, you know, like not a lot's changed. <laughs> I was like, sorry, man. Sorry to bring that up. <laughs> it's real funny. So my first training job was the Gainesville Health and Fitness. And I've talked about this before. It was amazing. You know, it was a three interview process. It was a month long of onboarding. You know, you put on a team, there's monthly con ed, mentorships. And I thought that's what personal training was. And I, when I left there to run the rec center, University of Florida, I started a personal training program there. And we'd have kids come in, kids, you know, early 20s. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been a trainer. I'm not going to say any of the gyms, the commercial gyms, some of the lower quality ones that you use your imagination. And I, I got after like the first five people I talked to, they, the next people would come in and I just first ask them like, hey, real quick, show me a hamstring stretch. And they stretch their quads. I'm like, oh, I've been training for three years at so-and-so. Okay, where, where are your quadriceps? And they touch their hamstrings. And it just kind of hit me. It's like, wow, hmm. this is a scary industry. There needs to be a little more quality. Yeah. Because everything is not the same. You know? Yep. And that's, you know, it gets a bad rap, but there's also a lot of great things about it too. So you started personal training in school, you got out of school. Did you stay at the country club? I did. Yeah. Um, business was growing. I um, had accidentally booked two clients at once. And was too embarrassed to tell either of them that I screwed up. So I ended up doing a, a partner workout. They absolutely loved it. Invited two of their friends to come next time. Started a group of four. Other clients saw that. They wanted groups of four. Next thing I knew, I quadrupled my business. Um, all my one-on-ones became groups of four. I was pretty much overtaking the gym. The members were getting mad at me. The other trainers were getting mad at me. Um, so in 2008, I went up to management and I said, you, you know, I'm letting you know in two weeks, I'm going to be leaving. You know, I appreciate it. Love, love being here, yada, yada. And they're like, why are you going? And I said, well, I'd, I don't have anywhere I can train my people like I'm doing. I'm making everybody mad and we're using up equipment. Um, I need space. I need my own space. And they go, well, what if we built you space here? Would you stay? And I said, yeah, I mean, I just need, that's all I need. You know, it's, I'm just leaving because I assumed you guys wouldn't do that. So they had this uh, thousand square foot space that was open in the back of the cardio area where people would just lay and stretch. They had mats and had some janitorial stuff. So they built a soundproof wall and some windows for me. And I filled it with $25,000 worth of equipment. And um, we opened up a, a private training studio in there. I could have six people in there at a time and business took off. And from 08 to 2014, I was there doing that. Uh, in 2014, remember I'd started in 2004. Uh, I had written down on a piece of paper that I would not work in this gym for more than 10 years without opening my own business. So two days before 10 years to the date, we left and opened up our own space. We were there until November of 2020, closed due to COVID and being shut down for nine months. Restructured our facility here, uh, now train here in Shingle Springs and have a have a full clientele. So 
We've had a lot, a lot of changes in the last 18 months, but they've been great changes. COVID has not been great, but the changes that we have gone through to get to this point have actually been better for our, our improved quality of life, my health, my wife's health, my time with my kids, all that. I absolutely love what I'm doing now. I wouldn't change it for the world, but I didn't think this is how I would have gotten here, right? This was probably five years from now, I thought, and COVID was like front of the line, like that, this is priority now. So took a bit of a gamble with that, but we're, we're doing well. So when you were at the country club, when I hear country club, I think golfers and yeah. older clients. Was that your primary clientele or was it a little bit scattered? We had um, we had a swim team there. We had a golf team, tennis, kids from like 13 to 20, and then housewives for the most part, 30 to 50, and then grandparents. And across the board, um, I'm, not, I'm not saying this to dismiss any of the other trainers, but they actually called me this. Of our staff, the other trainers called me the smart trainer because anytime that we would, anytime I would have a client cancel or it was lunch, I was reading a book or I was watching a webinar, I was doing something. So they nicknamed me the smart trainer and they actually started to hire me to train their clients with injuries on off days. So they would train a client Monday and Friday and I'd train that client for them on Wednesdays, help them with their back injury or their knee injury so that they were ready to go on Mondays and Fridays with their boot camp class or their swimming or whatever it was. So I basically started to work more with clients that had injuries, had limitations across the board. And then as I started to find my expertise a little more with the older populations, I really started to tailor it in that direction. But injury is what really dictated it. A lot with golf, a lot with you know tennis and swimmers with hamstrings and lower back issues and shoulders. Like we, you know, I saw a lot of that. So. We had a very good physical therapist, um, Tony Mikla and Dan McLean are, are two of our guys here in town that we worked with closely and they would kind of see some, some of the injuries and give me, you know, my guidelines and I would train them that, uh, that became my area of expertise there for a while and eventually, um, worked up and in, into the team where I was doing more education and training the staff. We had, you know, 15 or 16 trainers all together. I mean, it was a good sized place and, you know, a lot of money behind the facility and, our towels had Mercedes Benz logos on them. Like literally they were our sponsor, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's, it was a ritzy place. That's for sure. But yeah, you know, we had a good variety of people I got to work with. So training all those different varieties of people. So kids, different sports, all the way mm -hmm. up to older athletes and older adults. Did your programming change for the different demographics? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. We had, you know, I, I was lucky. I wasn't very good at training athletes. I wanted to be, you know, I think all trainers want to be, that's like, I want to work with all the athletes. That's where all the glory is. But when you take somebody and they can't walk without a cane or walk without their walker and you teach them to walk after you've gone through that process, it's a whole different connection. So that decision was easy for me to go that way. But the programming itself is an area that I understood very well. I just wasn't great at maybe implementing it. I don't know with, with athletes. So I struggled there, but we hired, you know, strength coaches that were very good at that. They would, they would kind of work with the athletes. And then we had another guy that was great at boot camps and programs. So we, we brought him in and we had another gal who was great with endurance and biking and triathlons and marathon. We brought her in. So we built this great team around us. Everybody had kind of these areas of expertise. And I worked with the older populations. We had another coach that was youth. That was his whole thing was just 13 and unders basically. And he'd develop them into going to the team programs. We had a strength coach for the team programs. I mean, it was a really good, we had four or five years there where it was just nails, but 
yeah, our programming for each one. We had our general philosophies for each component, but the athletes would have these macro cycles that we followed. And then our older pops had an eight week mini macro cycle that we were training them for. But all in all, everybody had a plan. We all had philosophies. We all had strategies. We did pre and post testing. We did analysis. Like we, we treated everybody the same in terms of, I want you to be better at your performance. Just older people are performing for life and the swimmers are performing for a scholarship, you know, that kind of thing. What kind of performance markers do you typically use for the older population? Uh, eight to 10 rep strength test of uh, any kind of pull off the floor. So some will use uh, a, a hex bar. Others will use a T-bell or a kettlebell. Lower body pull strength there. Upper bodies, we use something called a pivot point, which it's basically like a like a landmine hanging from the ceiling. It's, it's a pivoting strap with a bar. So they can um, support themselves through a range of motion. They don't have to support the bar. They just have to push on it. So we would do an eight to 10 rep. That would be our upper body test. Our, uh, we'd use, um, we had an upright that was a, like a pole vault uh, cage kind of thing that was set up where you could adjust heights of a bar and throw a sandball over it, a sandbag over it. So that would be our lower body power output test. And we do a 90 degree seated med ball throw to do upper body power. And then we had a short cardio test, which was, um, do you guys know inertia waves? They're like battling ropes, but they're rubber, right? So we would have those and we would do 500 inertia wave slams and a 500 meter row or a, a mile bike ride. We had kind of a combo of those. We had a long distance cardio test of a, bye guys. We had a long distance cardio test of 1500 meter um, ski erg bike, or excuse me, ski erg or row, and then a three mile bike. And we would do that if if needed, but most of the times we wouldn't, unless they were training for something specific to that. So those were our basic strength and power analysis and endurance. And then we have a, a different mobility. We call it a movement observation. So client doesn't really know that we're assessing them. We do it in like a mock format where it's, it kind of feels like a workout, but it's, can you get up and down off the floor? What height can you step up and down from? What height can you sit and stand to? Uh, what angle, if you can get to 180 degrees, can we reach overhead? Can we pull pronated? Can we pull supinated? And can we push at all? And we'll do all that, you know, sets of 10, two times around and then stop and basically tell them their scores in, in kind of like an FMS score of a one, two or three. If, if they have areas that we flagged as a limitation and, and we do it that way, because when you tell someone you're assessing them, they act differently. You know, they, they won't show you like their true colors. I want to see your tells. I don't want to, I don't, when you know, oh, you're testing posture. Oh yeah. I walk like this all the time. Like that's not the case. So we come in and I'm like, yeah, I want to see you, you know, just, just head down there and grab that mat for me and come back. And while they're walking, I'm re you know, recording their gait and I'm assessing their posture and their scapula height in relationship to their hip and so on. And so we, we assess that stuff without them really knowing it. So I get a true sense of what we're dealing with. And then I can come back and they're like, how do you know about this? And I, and I tell them and, you know, they they kind of feel fooled or tricked a little bit. But I'm like, hey, that's, that's what I needed. I needed to see what you would normally do, you know, and not what you think I wanted to see. If that's a, lo a long enough answer, <laughs> I don't, I'm not short-winded. It gives you an idea of kind of what we would do with our clients and a lot of those strength tests and all that, obviously, are after eight to 12 weeks of training them. They've established a base. And now we're like, okay, let's see what you can do. But someone just coming in clean, we do that movement observation and we just start, start into the basics and go from there.
Yeah, no, that's great, man. That's a, a great tool. Yeah, not to plug our course, but I, I teach that whole thing in, in there. And I, I have videos of it for free on YouTube. We have, I don't know, a hundred and something videos on YouTube. So there's one on there that kind of highlights the movement observation. I talk about it a little more. So if you guys want to see more on that, you can hop on our YouTube page and, and check them out. Very cool. And we'll post those links in the show notes. Cool. So Robert, when you were at the country club, it sounds yeah. like you were doing a lot of training. Were you officially on the management side as well? Yeah, I was a 50-50. So I had a certain number of hours. I got to do like 22 hours a week of training and then 20 hours of management, education and, and you know, facility uh, upkeep, all that kind of stuff. That was maybe the last two years that I was there. I, I, I'm very hands-on. I like training. I like coaching people. So they wanted me to go full tilt and to be in fitness director and a step away from the floor. And that wasn't really of interest to me. So when that kind of came down to the end, uh, that that really helped us in my decision to leave. But yeah, the management side, you know, you know where your where your strengths are and I'm okay saying I'm not great at managing people. I have a hard time with certain personality types and like finding motivation and you know, I have a natural assumption of like of course everybody would want to take these articles home and read them tonight and come back tomorrow and talk to me about it. <laughs> like <laughs> you know, I'd have that expectation and I'd be like you didn't you didn't read those two articles I gave you and they're like no, dude, I'll get to it. Give me a week or two. You know, but I was the the dork at home reading it that night. So I, I ran into a lot of issues as management. It wasn't it wasn't for me, not well, at that's all. It, so that's interesting. So you went from you know fifty fifty training and managing to opening a studio. How was that experience? How how well did that prepare you? For the I was scared, I was scared to death to do it. I thought like this whole thing is going to just blow up in my face. And two days in, I said, Why didn't we do this earlier? Like this is so great. I mean, it's you're so scared to pull the trigger on something and you don't really know sometimes that you are very well educated and prepared to do it. It's just scary to do it. And you got to trust that you're ready and that you're able and you can do. And I had a great mentor. I had a very good coach that I, I got to work with when I was getting my master's. Um, I got to study under him to, to finish up my degree. And he always said, if you ever want to come back and work here or partner with me, he's like, I'd love to open a gym with you. I'd love to do this. So when we started to kind of look at the idea of leaving, my wife and I, I, we went to Jamie and he said, hey, you know, I think I think I want to go do my own thing. And he goes, why don't you do this? Why don't you sublease from me 1,200 square feet? I've got I've got the space over here. We're not really doing much with it. Why don't you sublease from me? Be your own, do your own scheduling, pay for all your own shit, like do it all. It's all you. It's just here under my roof. Came up with a financial agreement and we did that. And I had, um, I had 52 clients at the time at the country club, 50 of them came over with me. Uh, the other two didn't cause we didn't have childcare. They needed, you know, childcare while they were in their training. And as soon as their kids were old enough to not need childcare, they, they eventually came over, which I was really happy about because I just had a real tight group of people for about 18 months, we subleased. And while we were there, he taught me about negotiations for a lease and he, went through all the financials that he did every month. And he taught me how to, you know, what we're paying on certain bills and how much money we spend on bleach and laundry to all of that. And then he went through and he goes, the, remember when you do your water fountain, it's gotta be this high to be ABA, ADA, or, um, um, ADA compliant. And you've gotta have a door that's, you know, locked from this side that you gotta have this many. I mean, the guy prepped me so great. 
that when I came in and I said, I think I'm ready. And he goes, I know you're ready. You know, he was, he was good for me to go. And I, you know, for 18 months paid half of his rent and he saved up 30 grand and put in a spin studio that he wanted. So it was a huge win for all of us, but I, I got a great opportunity to practice running a gym under somebody else's umbrella, basically. So once we did that going on on our own was not an issue at all. We were ready. It's great. It's great when you get to make the schedules and you get to, you know, decide what your uniforms look like. You're paying for it all. You're responsible for it all. There's a lot of trade-off, but it's great. If you're a um, self-motivated individual that holds, you know, high standards for yourself, it's, it's no, no, no trouble at all. But if you have a hard time, like keeping up on shit, you know, and like you better hire somebody that, you know, that'll do that other stuff for you. But, you know, I love it. I can say it's not for everybody. And like, had things not gone the management push with the country club, I probably would have stayed. I wasn't unhappy there. We were doing good. I just didn't want to be in management. And I, and I, you know, the club was starting to struggle. This was right into that, you know, time where the economy was starting to struggle at a point there. And so the club was starting to struggle, but our department was not. And we, we started to get, you know, our, our retirement funds, that kind of stuff, things were getting canceled and our education funds were being pulled and our commissions were being reduced. And it's like, you can't do this to a department that's doing well, right? We were the, we were the best department. So that, that brought it all to an end and not, not shitting on the club, just different management. We had eight exceptional trainers that worked there. All eight of us run very successful businesses all around Sacramento right now. Like every one of them, they were just, it was a great nucleus. We had a, we had a, a group of people that all came together that really knew what they were doing and they were passionate. So there was like a four year block there where that cl- that country club was the place to go. Cause we had everybody. It was like the A team, man. It was cool. Ken, you look like you're going to ask something. You look. Like no, I was just going to say, it looks like he progressed to a hybrid model really. Um, and I had a lot of other thoughts too about the stuff you said, but you know, now you're doing, it looks like in-person stuff. You're doing a little bit of online stuff. Um, and it sounds like you have a, a flagship program as well. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really enjoy this. We've, we've branched out. Um, happy to say that we have three TOA affiliates that are opening September 1st. So uh, there'll be a, a TOA in Corpus Christi, Texas, uh, a TOA in South Carolina and a TOA in Chicago. And our goal is to have 10 TOAs uh, by the end of 2022 and hopefully we'll be able to continue to expand there. So affiliate ships and affiliate programs, and we've um, certified over 350 TOA trainers uh, over the last four years. So that side of our business is a, is a great focus for us. And then in-house here, you know, I've got a, a group of clients. I have 14 clients I've been training for 17 years or more, and they're all still here with me and we're kicking ass and training every day. And then I've got, you know, 40 plus ish clients that I get to train online. So I get to keep doing all the things I like. I don't want to stop training, but I love to educate and I'm getting chances to help more people than I can help in this little space by teaching other trainers how to do it, you know, in a, in a way that is very systematized and has a ton of education behind it and, and support them through that process. So yeah, it's been, it's been cool. Last 18 months, like I said, very different thing, but um, it's exactly what we've always wanted to do. Yeah, that's awesome. We, we're big believers in the hybrid model too. And Nick, you're right. I did have some other thoughts about what you said. You kind of touched on, you know, when you went out on your own, a lot of people, it's hard for, you know, 
I'm sure independent trainers, people opening their own studio, you got to be very disciplined and very organized too, right? There's there's a lot that you don't think about. Like when we first start thinking about it, we're okay, what equipment do we need? That's like the first thing you get into. But you don't think about all the other things. You're like, wait a minute, I have to pay $350 to the city to get a permit to put up a sign on the outside of my building that it's going to cost me like two grand to put up. And they're like, yeah, and you need to pay that permit every other year. <laughs> like, for what? What are we, you know, like, I didn't know that. I didn't know I needed to have a, a permit to get an alarm in my business. And I have to pay $55 every other, you know, those things. I didn't know I had to pay for the music that I'm listening to, you know, beyond my Pandora subscription. Yeah, you got to pay $350 a year to give all the right the artists the rights to you, you listening to their music. Like, there's so many little hidden things that you don't know about. And, and then learning to, you know, I know Nick's smiling over here because this is your, your area with business and such, but going through a lease and all the little verbiage and all the little trick things, there were so many things like the first one we signed, I signed it. And then our lawyer looked at it and he's like, don't sign stuff without my permission. Like you, you almost blew it. Like it was the, oh, it was, everything was in their favor. And I'm like, okay, you know, just, I was excited to open you know, and he's like, dude, you can't like, there's so much, there's so much you need to know. And if you're not willing to learn all those things and get into it, you're going to have some problems. You know, we had a, another colleague of ours that didn't realize there's a square footage for how many sprinklers you need to have in your facility. And he was like four sprinklers short. And so this was like a $40,000 improvement. They had to tear all the ceiling and put it and all this. And he was like, no, no, we open on Saturday. And like, no, you don't. Fire code came in and they're like, no, you don't. So he had like six months. He had to push this whole thing back. You know, like there's just so much to know. It's not just what equipment do we need? Let's open up. You know, there's so much to learn. And that's where, where do you learn that? Where do I go to learn that from? You know, I read an article here and there and someone tries to discuss a budget with me. And, and I'm sure you could you know, if you're getting a degree in business, you'll learn more about it. But this specific to what we do, you need somebody that's been there and they've done it and they're willing to teach you about it. And, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to running a successful business, but when you do it and you do it well, you know, the bucks starts and stops with you, the rewards that are rep that are wept, they're, they're yours. I mean, you, you know, you did that. And if it fails, you did that too, you know, but uh, you're betting on yourself. Nice. That's amazing. All right, so we're getting late. Let's transition a little bit. Rapid fire questions. I'm going to kick so, this over. So not 10-minute answers? Got it. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, it's all good. No, it's I interesting information. It, I mean, well, we could chat uh, all day about this, but they're not yeah, going to teach you in business school about um, codes and city regulations, you know, and our bookkeeping either. It sounds like that's yeah. what you kind of alluded to earlier. All right. So getting into these rapid fire questions, rapid fire. what was the biggest challenge in your fitness career and how'd you overcome it? COVID was definitely one. I think a thing that I always took really to heart, I guess I could say is, is when I hurt people, you know, I don't, I don't think any of us have like the malicious intent of hurting one of our clients while we're training them. Obviously we don't, we're in the business of helping them, but I had a client tear rotator cuff, trying to learn how to do a kipping pull-up. She really wanted to do one. I knew she had a bad shoulder. And so my gut was saying like, just tell her this isn't something that she should do. 
Like you be the professional. It's her, it's your job to tell her what to tell this, right? It's not to just whatever you say, boss, you're paying the bills. Like it's your job to be the one that says your body can't really handle this, right? Until this is fixed. So I knew that she had a, a shoulder injury, but she insisted on it. I tried to teach her and she tore a rotator cuff in her labrum. I felt responsible for that. You know, I've had clients that um, hurt themselves, hurt a, hurt a disc in their back, trying to PR on their deadlift. I had a guy that, you know, was a, a baseball athlete when I was at the club that, that um, hurt his elbow. Like injuries are really the hard one for me. And especially with older populations now, you know, the, it's late in the game. So any injury you put to them, it's setting them back even further. Like, damn, it just, that really bugs me. That brings me down. But it really made, I had to learn how to progress and program more efficiently and realize you can't be that aggressive. I had to learn to like reel things back a little bit and just take a little more time and know that it'll pay off in the long run to take smaller steps. That was big for me. So yeah, injuries were big. And then navigating COVID, those were really the big, like two of the biggest challenges for sure for me. Yeah, definitely. And it sounds like you tightened down on your, you, you know, your systems. You obviously have a training system, yeah. but put some extra uh, checks and balances in there. Yeah. Okay. On to the next question. What do you feel like is um, the key or keys uh, to having a profitable fitness business? You need to know more than the basics. So you have you have three learning domains. You have psychomotor, that's physically being able to do things. You have cognitive, understanding the, the research and understanding the books and all that. And then you have affective. And affective is the emotional connection between the two, basically. If you're my trainer... And you're telling me, I read this research, do it this way. And here's how to do it. And you show me, we just covered cognitive and psychomotor. But if I don't trust you, if I don't have that affective connection to this, I don't know how much I'm going to buy into this program, right? So it's really establishing value of your service and establishing trust with the client. Trust and value are the things we preach all the time. And it's like, you got to have that to be able to deliver a quality service with your client that you can build on. It, it really is like, you need to be a genuine human being and let them know I am here to help you. I'm good at what I'm doing. I'm constantly in the mode to learn, to get better at this. And I either know it or I will learn it to help you get better. And that desire, that emotion, that connection, the, the learning your clients, kids' names and celebrating their anniversaries and birthdays and like those deeper things, when you do all that, money will follow that. But if your whole concern is like another person in the door, three fifty a month to change, like if that's how we look at it, that's not going to last. It just isn't. Like I'll argue with people tooth and nail for it, but if you're constantly dealing with turnover rather than having forty people that stay with you forever, right? Like it's better to have forty people stay with you forever and have a waiting list than constantly be fine. I got to need more leads, more leads, more leads. I don't want more leads. I want my schedule full and I want to be able to rely on it. Right. Again, very long answer. Sorry. It's okay. No, you bring up a good point. To, you know? Retention is client retention. Yeah. It's a lot easier to yep. obviously keep your clients and to lose them and have to find more and lose that income. So I totally agree with you. And, and you bring up one kind of a side where if I did have a, a random question related to that, would you say that the elderly population, uh, they have a better retention rate or you think, higher rates than the younger? I don't know if it's a better retention rate, but they, well, number one, they have more income. Like more, lo more, more loyal. How about that? Yes. Yes. Definitely more loyal. Yes. 
they and they have they have more income to to put into their health and they have the highest priority on their health right um we've noticed that most people in like 30s and 40s they're more focused on their kids so older populations are definitely focused on them if you can prove to them that you know what you're doing and you're in what you know when they do the experience with you and they're getting something great and they're showing progress yeah they'll 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 be your number one fan your number one salesperson, you know, the, the they'll refer in their buddies and their friend. No, no, you have to go see Robert. I couldn't do this. And now look at me, I can squat. Like they, they, there's no more loyal group than when you can help someone that couldn't swing their golf club. They can now, or they couldn't walk their dog or play with their grandkid. Like it's, you know, you become part of their family almost like a, an extended grandchild. It's really cool. you know, but yes, that's, um, uh, a connection to that demographic, I, I think there's a definitely a, a higher level of loyalty as long as you know what you're doing, for sure. Yeah, that's a great niche, uh, it sounds like, to be in. And also, like you said, building the connection is very important with anybody, not just clients, but in general, right. the, the more you can relate to people, the better off uh, you're probably going to find yourself. So moving on to the next question, what are some of the biggest mistakes uh, that you see coaches making? not continuing their education. I've had more arguments than not when people are like, I know what I'm doing. I'm good. I don't need to go do these courses or go learn anything else. Continue to learn because whatever we're doing right now, someone's researching it and it's going to be better next year. You got to keep up with that or the industry will leave you behind. So that's a big one. Being too concerned about the toys and not enough about the process. You know, like kettlebells are great, but you don't have to be the kettlebell guy, right? Like I can fix your shoulder and I can make you more explosive kettlebells. That's the answer. Like it's, it's a tool and you can definitely use that, but I could be successful with a barbell. I could be a lot of people really get tied to their tools. Just, just know that, you know, it's more about the process of what and why you're doing. We talked about that common practice thing a little bit in the beginning where you're just kind of following what others are doing. Independent thinking. You, You need to be able to look at something and go, well, because this enter celebrity trainer name endorses it, or they say it's this way, I'm going to follow suit, you know, and I've got some of my favorite people out there. I love Dan Johns. I love, you know, uh, Mike Boyle. I love the Cosgroves. I love Durkin. I like, you know, you can go through all them. There's plenty of things I disagree on them about. And, and, and it could be something that they're super passionate about, but independent thinking, as long as you have a reason why don't just follow, you know, just follow. Cause they say, um, think for yourself, research it. And if you disagree, that's okay, but have a reason why. If I ask you, why do you disagree? You know, be able to stay at the table and, and answer my question. But if you can't, you're like, I don't know. I just, uh, everybody likes it. So we do it. Yeah, definitely got to <laughs> be, you know, get your education and, and be an independent thinker, carve your own path, whatever you want to call it. And another question I kind of had based on what you were talking about earlier, you know, you said you got into management you know, you obviously got to see a lot of different types of trainers, right? Yeah. Uh, you you meant, alluded to the fact that there were different personalities. So I kind of wanted to maybe see if you could share some of the most common personality types that you see for oh, trainers. Boy. Yeah, there's, uh, there's the yes man, you know, always says yes and kind of just does whatever you ask. They don't always do it, but they always say yes. Then you have the one that resists everything that you say, no matter what it is, even if it's going to benefit them, there's resistance. And then you have the, the, I know, uh, oh yeah, I know, I know, I know. 
Well, if you knew it, you'd be doing it already. And I wouldn't have to be telling you about it, right? So you got that kind of personality. And then you have the ones that won't say anything at all. They're just constantly quiet and sitting back and you have to like pull, like, do you have a question for me? Like, please show me something that you're interested in this. I don't know what you call these. You know, there's names for each one of them that, you know, the this and the that. There's a name for each one. I don't know if I was very good at connecting with any of them, to be honest with you. Like, I struggled with everybody. I just kind of left it out and like, you guys want to learn. We're going to do these meetings. We're going to do this. You know, my, my mindset was if I could give you something to read and then give you hands-on experience and then talk to you about it and troubleshoot it with you, we would cover all three learning domains and 80% of the people that were on our team learned well with that and liked it. That was good for me, but it's such an old man thing when you're like, damn millennials, you know, like, but I really struggled with like the 20 year olds that just thought they knew everything. And I'm like, you don't fucking get it. Like, quit telling me that you know everything because you don't, dude, right? Like, I'm watching you teach these kettlebell swings. Their back's round. Their shoulders are forward. Their fucking head's looking down. Like, come on. You're not doing it right, you know? So don't tell me, oh, I know, I know. You don't. So that kind of thing would piss me off, you know? That's where I would get all ramped up. My face would turn red and people would be like, yo, you just yelled at that guy. I'm like, you didn't hear about the whole conversation of why we got to me yelling. That's the kind of personality I guess I'd clash with. <laughs> Very Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn. That's my, <laughs> my kind of attitude. Sorry. What is the oldest client that you've ever trained? 95. 95. Betty, Betty is 95. Yep. Betty's a badass dude. She could do everything except put her arm over her head. She had two separated AC joints, so she just could not put her arms over her head. But um, she could do everything else and is super functional. Her son or her grandson is a, was one of our employees. So um, he would come in and I started working with her and she goes, yo, maybe my grandson can come and intern with you sometime. And he interned and then he did our mentorship and then we hired him. He was a great kid. You know, he was really doing well and uh, picking up. And so we trained her, we trained her daughter, we trained her daughter's husband. So her son, like we, we trained a lot family of family affair, family yeah. affair. Yep. I got you. Awesome. Um, Nick, what about you? Have you trained any 90 year olds? I have not. I have not trained any 90-year-olds. I think I probably trained six, you know, late 60s. That's about it. I had a group yeah. of a 95, a 93, and an 88. Oh, we trained all three of them at the same time. Sounds like that a was, great group. That was something. Yeah, the Golden <laughs> Girls group. It was fun. All right. Well, we're, I'm going to wrap up with just some quick, uh, really quick questions, your favorites. And then I'll transition back over to Nick and let him close us out here. So what is your favorite food? Pizza. Any particular type of pizza? Oh, it's weird. I like uh, sausage, olive, and pineapple. I know it's, I know it sounds terrible, but I actually freaking love it. And, and, and even better with the garlic cream sauce rather than red sauce on it. Uh, but then I'll dip that in ranch. Ugh. And you can see where I can't eat that all the time. Um, I'd be like 350, but I I absolutely love it. We got a place here in town. I love pizza. Yeah, I love ranch dressing myself. All mm -hmm. right, what's your favorite book? Ooh, Muscle by Samuel William Fussell. He's a bodybuilder. It's written in the 80s. Bodybuilder that's uh, forced to use steroids, and I won't ruin the whole book for you, but it has a bunch of different experiences, some life lessons, and transitions into a trainer and starts working with different people at the end. Uh, it's called Muscle. It's a very good book. The guys, I don't know if he's a, he went to school to be a writer, but he was pretty damn good at it. It's a great, it's a great read. Yeah, I'll have to check that out. Well, what about what's the last book that you read? Young Men and Fire 
by uh, Norman. He's the guy that wrote A River Runs Through It. Norman, it'll come to me in a second. But uh, That's a great movie, yeah, too. Yeah, One it's a great movies. movie. Yep. And he wrote another book called Young Men in Fire, and it was about his time uh, in the woods uh, being a, a logger and a volunteer firefighter. And they had uh, massive fires in Montana they had to deal with. What's your favorite movie? Ooh, damn it. Why you ask me this? Movies are my favorite. Th- like, I am a movie connoisseur. So let me give you a couple of them. I love The Prestige. Christian Bale, Hugh Jackman, Magic, quote unquote. Great film. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I love The Edge. Uh, Anthony Hopkins, um, Alec Baldwin. They're in the woods. The bear's after him after a plane crash. Great movie. Action films. I love all the John Wick movies. I'm a huge Keanu fan. I, I think I could just watch those three over and over again. Love the Planet of the Apes series, the new one. I like all movies. I like chick flicks. I like documentaries. I love to be, I love to get engrossed in a story. So. Well, I think you've given us plenty of options. So I think you're right. There's a a lot of movies out there and I'm all about them. All right. Last question. What is something unique about you? I don't really have any talents. I can't sing or dance or do anything like that. I love to dance. I love to sing. I'm terrible at both. <laughs> I'm not very good. Here's here's something unique. Uh, I took five year, four years of ballroom dance in college, um, so it would help my hammer throwing. Every year at the end, we would we would do a uh, a show for the local retirement communities, and I was voted best dancer three out of the four years. All right, Robert. So you're running in person. You're running online. You're dominating and teaching the world how to train older adults the right way, but you recently just got elected to the board of directors at NSCA. So I hadn't had a chance to congratulate you. Thank you. I'm excited. Anything you want to, you want to drop about that? Yeah, this just happened in July and I'm, I'm really excited. The, you know, the NSCA is known um, for strength and conditioning, strength and conditioning coaches, high school coaches, not really known for their personal training, even though they've got a great certification and a ton of great research to support it. So I'd love to see things change with that and see the NSCA embrace that profession a little more. You know, I know, Nick, I'm preaching to the choir. You were the personal trainer manager for many years and, you know, did your best to make that happen. Hopefully I'll be able to, to, to assist in that. Just particularly waited for this position to run. I didn't want to be in any other spot. I wanted to be in this spot to see what I could do. And, you know, lost last time to Brett Contreras. I don't think I had much of a chance there. A very popular guy, but I'm very happy to be in this and we'll see. We'll see what comes. Yeah. Fight the good fight. I was stoked when you got it. You couldn't find a better person, more deserving. And uh, yeah, pick up the mantle and and keep trying to push it forward for the industry. I will do my best. That's for sure. All right, Robert, what is the best way for our listeners to contact you? You can go on Instagram. You can go on Facebook. Uh, send me messages there. My email is my name, Robert Linkle. No dots, just robertlinkle at gmail.com. Um, head to trainingtheolderadult.com. Pop on YouTube. Just look up my name, Robert Linkle there. You'll see our page. And that's about it. Excellent. We'll put that in the show notes. Good man. And that's it, guys. That wraps it up. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Robert, for your time. And for all you guys, make sure you subscribe to our podcast and look out for the next episode.